Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. It's a good song. We've got many things to be thankful for. 10,000 reasons. One of the reasons that I'm, uh, things I'm thankful for is a place that we can come and gather each week and that uh, you are welcome to come and worship with us and uh, share. We have uh, facilities we can use throughout the week for our ministries. And I appreciate having this uh, building. You know, the church can meet anywhere, and it does all over the world. Uh, one time we met in a school when we first started, but we have this beautiful building. And, you know, when this building was built, a lot of thought went into the architecture. Um, I'm not an architect, of course, and I do enjoy One of the things I want to do before I die is sometime in Chicago, next time I'm there, I want to take the architectural tour, walking tour of Chicago. Uh, They have one in Seattle, too. Uh, Architecture is a big part of our lives, and people that build buildings like this, everything is integrated from the colors of the wood, uh, the light, the focus. Everything is integrated and fits together and was carefully thought out to provide us a place to come where we can come and worship and feel at home. You know, in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament lands, there was a man who left his imprint all over the place. And even today, when you go visit the Holy Land, when you go visit Israel, Palestine, uh, you will go to several places where there will be a name associated with the architecture, with the building, and that is Herod the Great. Uh, he is actually known in history as one of the greatest architects, builders, designers, and uh, fabulous places, places like Masada, where you go uh, in, you know, this last week we had hot weather and, uh, you know, in, in, we were in the desert a few weeks ago down in Arizona. Masada is in the desert. I didn't realize until just now that they have monsoons in Arizona this time of year. I didn't know that. And uh, we drove through one and that's going on right now. And they have rainy seasons in the desert in Israel. And yet in this desolate, dry area of Masada up on top of the hill, uh, Herod built a fortress where they could, and they could collect enough water in the short rainfall, not only to last the entire year, but they had Turkish steam baths, if you will, type of thing. They had an abundant supply of water. They could hold out forever up there. An amazing builder. And one of his architectural wonders was the temple, it's called the Second Temple, that he built in Jerusalem on the site of Solomon's temple. This temple actually was started by Herod well before Christ was born. And it was finished long after Herod died, because he died you know, early on in the story. And uh, well after he was, uh, even after the New Testament times, uh, the life of Jesus, before this temple was actually finished. It was in process that whole time, of the, of the time of the life of Christ and the life of the apostles pretty much. But it was basically finished uh, during the time just before the birth of Christ and during his lifetime. As we've been reading our New Testament together this last few weeks in Matthew, you may have noticed that almost every day, Events are taking place in the temple grounds where every day Jesus would come. He would go to Bethany and stay with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, come back into Jerusalem and teach and interact and scold the Pharisees and scribes and teach his disciples and tell those parables. It took place in the temple grounds. And today we're going to consider 
uh, section, one of the most uh, difficult sections of the New Testament for many people, Matthew 24. Uh, Matthew 24 and 25 are some of the most discussed and uh, diff- diverge, divergent opinions uh, on, on this passage. And uh, we're going to tackle this this morning in the next few minutes. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray as we open your word that, God, as we come in today with many things in our hearts and minds, that you would allow us just to open our heart to your word now for a few moments. Uh, might we listen to your word? Might we learn things that will apply to our lives and to help us not only understand you and your plan for the future, but also for our lives as well? And so we give these next few moments in the word to you as an act of worship. In Christ's name, amen. Um, the, the, the first picture I have is the temple grounds. This would be inside the temple courts. And inside the temple grounds was this great courtyard where they could hold discussions, where Jesus could sit and talk with the disciples and the many who came and gathered around him and listened. And the first several parts of the of chapters that we've just read, it's taken place in these temple grounds. And then one day, look at chapter 24, it says in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking his way when his disciples came up to him, Matthew 24, 1, to call to his attention to the buildings. And so as they, were, as they were leaving the temple grounds, and they would have been walking down this massive staircase, most likely, there are several, there are several exits out of, in and out of Jerusalem. This was the most common entrance and exit. And, uh, and you can imagine, I mean, that, that is an accurate picture, the size of those people walking up the stairs to go up. Herod built this huge retaining wall. This was much bigger than Solomon's temple. They built this huge retaining wall, filled it in, built a temple on top of it. And as they were leaving those temple grounds, and this is the most magnificent architectural uh, feature in, really in Palestine at this time. The Jews around the world really were endeared to uh, Herod because he did this. He built this temple. The Jews in Palestine did not care for him so much because he ruled Herod. But as they were leaving this temple grounds, and it would have been something like this, as they're walking away, the disciples, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, we're not told, they turned to Jesus and, and, and they came up and they said, and they said look at Jesus, look at, the, look at the beauty of this temple. Did, did you notice it? I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. They called his attention to the temple. And his response in verse 2, Do you see all these things? He said, I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, if you notice the next verse, it says in verse 3 that Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. For those of us who have been there, it takes a while to make the journey from either way. From, from the Temple Mount, you have to go down into the Kidron Valley, and then you have to go back up the east side, up the Mount of Olives. It takes a while. It takes you a while to get there. And there's a space here in between. And it's interesting to me that they, they ask him this question as they're leaving the temple grounds. And the next part of the story where, where something happens is in verse 3. is they're sitting on the Mount of Olives and, and they begin this discussion. I'm, I just have to think that the, the disciples were probably just dumbfounded. I mean, this, they didn't know what to say. They had been preparing. Jesus has been talking about this coming kingdom. 
um, they have they have come in and been welcomed in to Jerusalem. And he has been scolding the Pharisees and scribes. And he's been talking about, in fact, we saw that where he told them, you will sit in the 12 tribes of Israel and judge the nation of Israel. Last week, we saw where the mother and the brothers came and said, can we sit on your right and left? They are anticipating. Yes, he has talked about his death. He's predicted that his, he, will be, he will be persecuted. He will be, he will be beaten, scourged, and he will die and rise again. But they didn't quite get this. We know that from Mark. And as you read all the Gospels together. But they're anticipating. And naturally, I mean, naturally, this is going to be the place where he's going to reign. I mean, this is the most beautiful temple that could be built. And whatever is going to happen in the near future, they are anticipating that they will be there. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what. Look at this. Not one stone. Some of, these, some of the stones that were used are, are two to five tons. Some are ten tons. I mean, this was, you know, you can do a lot. They built it with slave labor. And, they, and so they could do whatever they wanted. And these are huge stones. This is a huge edifice. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what, not one stone is going to be standing where it is now. And I think the disciples were just dumbfounded. They didn't know what to say. What does this mean? What is he talking about? I mean, he has said a lot of things to them that were difficult to understand, but this is one of the most difficult. What is he talking about? How is this going to be? Who is going to do this? What about sitting on the twelve thrones? What about ruling? What about the kingdom? What is he talking about? And they go and they leave and finally they get up to the Mount of Olives and they sit down. And then they came to Jesus, verse 3. And I'm sure they discussed on the way up there, what, what do we say? What do we ask him? What, do we, what is he talking about? What, what, what do we do? And they sit down and it says the disciples came to him privately, quietly, just the disciples and Jesus. There's no crowd. There's no Pharisees and scribes. It's just a small group. And they finally said, Lord, tell us, when will this happen, this destruction, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Just to give you a little, again, a little appreciation of this, um, this, this, is a, this is a very nice model of the, of the second temple. Of course, it doesn't stand anymore, but you do go visit this in Jerusalem. This wall here is just the retaining wall that was built to fill in the top and put the temple on top. This is how big this was. This is how massive this was. This is what they were looking at as they went up to Mount of Olives and looked back. If you've seen pictures today of the Wailing Wall, this, is, this, this section here, the Wailing Wall, or the Western Wall really is what it really is known as, is just a portion is just a portion of that retaining wall. It's not even anywhere near even a, a fifth or sixth of it. It's just a portion of, of this wall that was built to hold the temple. That's all it is. And that gives you an idea how massive, how big this was. And as they left the temple grounds and, and went up to the Mount of Olives, and they looked back over this, this, this temple, and they, and, they, and, they, and they thought more about this. And, and, and finally, Jesus says, is going to tell them, when, and they have two questions. When will this happen? That's question one. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's really one question. It's two parts, but there's really the second part of that. Is, it goes with the first. 
When will it happen? And how will we know? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They resign themselves to, if he says this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And how will they know? How will anyone know when this is going to happen? Well, we have a discourse here that's known as the Olivet Discourse. And it's a difficult passage of Scripture. And you've been reading the Bible together with us this week. And so I'm not going to try to cover everything in this, but I would like to walk through this with you and and give you some understanding and make an application because this is a a passage of Scripture that, that is very important. It's important to God's plan for the future, God's plan for salvation, God's redemptive plan. And so Jesus, we, we read the first part that Amanda read to us this morning, verses through verse 14, where we talk, and you'll notice the key word here is deception. It says for verse 5, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. They'll deceive many. In the first century, there were false messiahs who came. There was a guy named Bar Kova, son of Kova, who led a huge revolt. Throughout history, there have been those who have come and claimed to be the Messiah. Going on up till today. And the key word here is deception. There will be many who will come and they will deceive and many people have been deceived. In fact, this whole thing is so difficult. If you jump over to verse 36, when he's talking about this whole future scenario, he says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. That's an amazing scripture. You know, we believe uh, strongly in our tradition of the, in the Protestant, in the, in the Christian tradition of the incarnation, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And in his full humanity, he was still fully God, but he, he somehow took on some limitations in the sense that he says here, I don't even know. That's what he says. I don't know how how else you can read that. He says, no one knows right now. Only the Father knows. It's an amazing scripture. Just as amazing when it says in in the Gospels that he grew in stature and wisdom. How does the Son of God, fully God, grow in wisdom? And he grew in obedience to his parents. It's an amazing miracle. The miracle of the incarnation. But that's what it says. And Jesus says, listen, be careful. And this is a word of warning to us today. That as we were made well aware of once again this past year, huh? Of these false predictions and dates of we know when this is going to happen. We know. If somebody tells you they know when the end of the world is coming, they're wrong. <laughs> they don't know. It's, if Jesus couldn't, if Jesus said only the Father knows, they don't know. I mean, this is, that's all I can tell you. They don't know. Don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in predicting things based on Mayan calendars and, and all of a sudden, oh, we found a new calendar. So it changes the dates, you know. Um, the dates come and go. It's embarrassing, but, you know, that's not part of our tradition. We don't do that. And, and we don't predict dates. We don't predict times. All we can do is what Jesus said is there are signs, there are indications There are indications, and that's what you want to look for. But the minute someone says, I know the day and the hour, they don't know the day and the hour. But Jesus says, watch out, don't let anybody deceive you. And he talks about the things that are going to happen. You notice he says, as was read to us this morning, they talk about wars, famines, earthquakes. But before we even get to that point, when Jesus predicted not one stone will be left upon another, 
that part was actually fulfilled shortly after the life of, for example, uh, Paul and Peter. When they, both of them appeared to have been martyred somewhere between 64 and 66 A.D., 67 A.D., and there was what's known as the Jewish War. Maybe some of you read Josephus, who, who records from, a, from the Roman standpoint, but he was a Jew, this Jewish War. And finally, around the 70 A.D., the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, and this temple was, was completely destroyed. And they tore it down. They tore down all those massive tonnage of stones and scattered them. And that temple was completely destroyed. Jesus doesn't go into detail about that except to say, I tell you the truth, this is going to happen. And Mark and Luke tell us a little bit more about his predictions about that. The clock began ticking. The temple was destroyed. And that first generation of believers who were close to this, this teaching of Jesus that was passed on to them, they saw it happen in their lifetime. But then he looks out toward the future. And we can say that, that, that the events began that lead to this, this climactic event that's going to take place. And I want you to look in verse 15. Because we see here the culmination in the Bible. He says this, they asked for the sign. They said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? When will this happen? And the when will this happen part is going to be answered here in verse 15. This is when we are moving toward the very end of it. He says, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Don't go back. Get your coat. How dreadful it will be. Verse 21. It will be great distress. Unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. Never to be equaled again. He says if those days had not been cut short, nobody would survive. But for the sake of God's elect, God's plan of salvation, He cuts it short. This abomination of desolation that, that we read about here was very well known to the Jews in the first century because it comes from the book of Daniel. He clearly says, and incidentally, between the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a Syrian leader, Antiochus IV, you can just shorten that. He came into the temple and he offered a pig on the altar. Now, if any of you know anything about Judaism, right, um, you know that that's, that's horrendous. The pig is unclean. They don't eat pork. Uh, Muslims and Jews both don't eat, are not supposed to eat pork. He came in, he offered a pig on the sacrifice, and he desecrated the altar. Some have looked at that and said that's what Daniel was talking about. Well, what happened there was a, was a sort of a picture, a foretaste of what's going to happen, but it couldn't have been because Jesus says it's still in the future. He says when you see this happen then you will know it's still in the future. And where this comes from, if, if, if you don't mind, just quickly look back for a moment. In the book of Nan Daniel, there are three references. If you have your Bible, if you go back in Daniel, go back in the Old Testament, not too far. Um, Ezekiel, Daniel. Ezekiel is a very large prophetic book. If you go to the book of Daniel and you look at chapter 9, I just want to show you how prominent this was in Daniel so that this was right on there forefront of their minds. When he mentioned this, they knew right away what he's talking about. Just like when I mentioned, I could mention things from the New Testament, you would right away, if I mentioned the Lord's Prayer, um, you know, if I mentioned the fruit of the Spirit, if you have any background in the Bible, these things come to your mind. 
In Daniel chapter 9, in verse 27, He will confirm, this, this person will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on Him. Chapter 11. In chapter 11 and verse 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress. He will abolish the daily sacrifice. They will set up the abomination that causes desolation. And in the very end of Daniel, see how prominent, three times in Daniel, we come to the very end, chapter 12 and verse 11. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished, the Jews offered sacrifice every day in the temple. Read the, the, the Torah, the five books of Moses, and every day there was a sacrifice. This person comes in, tricks everybody, gains access to the center of worship. In those pictures we showed you, that building, the big tall building right in the middle is where the Holy of Holies, only the high priest went in there once per year. It's the only time anybody, if anybody went in there, uh, that in any other case, or if the high priest went in and hadn't cleansed himself uh, properly, um, he would have died. You know the tradition that they tied a rope around his ankle and they had a bell ringing. So when he went in there, if the bell quit ringing long enough, he was dead. But you can't go in and get him. So they could pull him by the rope and pull him back out again. I mean, it was that serious. And, 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 and yet this person has gained access and tricked everybody, and has gained access, and he puts an end to the sacrifices, and this person goes in and sets up an altar to himself, and they worship in the Holy of Holies. And this is the abomination that causes desolation. This is something that it could never be any worse for a religious Jew in this era to have this happen in the Holy Temple. It was so serious. It was, so, it was, it was, it was destruction of everything that, that they held dear. And he says that this, when, the, when the sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, and then he gives the days. And we're not going to go into detail this morning, but this is clearly referenced in the book of Revelation. This is what is known as the Antichrist. And the Antichrist comes, and the world is deceived, and, he, and, and except for the elect, except for the, the, the righteous Jews who understand this, he goes into the temple, he sets up the sacrifice, and, and everything just crashes in that they know, and it begins the clock ticking. And Jesus says, listen, Jesus says, and incidentally, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, lest you wonder whether it's still a future event, the Apostle Paul talks of the same thing. The Apostle Paul in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, you can read that at home, talks about don't be deceived. Don't let it, and people were, people were fooling them in those days and saying that it's already come and gone. And he says, no, don't be deceived. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, then you will know that is, that is the sign, that is the indicator that you are at the end. And this is what Jesus tells his disciples. They knew Daniel. Now we go back to Matthew, and we've, we see when it's going to happen. When the abomination, when this Antichrist, and we read this in Revelation as well, this person comes in, and sets up the worship to Satan, really, because Satan, Satan has a has a triunity, has has three beings in Revelation, and he, it, it, you know, the, the thing about the Antichrist, you got to remember, 
you hear much about this, and we, we oftentimes we get it from our Hollywood perspective or this or that, or cultural. The word antichrist is really pseudo-Christ. It's a false Christ. And you see throughout the teachings here that these, this individual has the ability to fool people because he does signs and miracles. Listen, when it happens, it's not going to be this hideous, frightening, scary creature. It's going to be the most natural thing in the world. Listen, it's going to be, it's going to be a peace. It's going to be prosperity. It's going to make sense to people. It, everything about it, he's going to do signs and wonders that people will say, well, how could this possibly not be the Messiah? We know in Revelation it's going to be a cashless society. When I was the age of some of you young people here and we talk about this, we couldn't really wrap our minds around this. And today, I mean, not only is it cash, you know, the only checks we write are really to church and Christian organizations. Everything else is electronic that I do. I got cash in my wallet right now, but I don't, you know, my, my kids, you know, in the next generation, they hardly ever carry cash. And it's to the point, I mean, I can go anywhere in the world and put my cash card in the machine. I went to Indonesia last, this, last, this last spring. I put my cash card in the machine, and Alex Pierce was with us. And we, and we, we walked away millionaires. We put, our, we put in and took out $100. Right, Alex? And we got 900 and some thousand rupees. And it knew my name, that machine. And then I went to Starbucks to buy a cup of coffee and cost me, what was it, 18,000 rupees or something. So that's why, you know. But you know what? I mean, how difficult, how difficult is it going to go, is it going to be to go to a situation where you take an infrared mark or something on your forehead or hand that is scanned and is connected? And how difficult in today's world is this to even imagine of a cashless society, it's going to be the most natural thing, the most foolproof thing in the world. It's not going to come across hideous and frightening. It's the false Christ. But when he goes in the temple and offers a sacrifice to Satan, if you will, and sets himself up, Jesus says, then you'll know. Then you'll know. If you want to know when it's going to come, this is what I want you to look for. And in verse 29... Immediately after the distress of those days, I'm looking. I want to ask you a question. Now, we're going through some Bible study here this morning. And I'm not going to apologize for that because if I do, I got some people that listen to our, our and they're going to they're going to get after me for apologizing. I'm apologize. They said, so I'm not going to apologize. Okay, <clears throat> Fred. Okay, <clears throat> verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. And the heavenly bodies will be shaken. It's going to be frightening. All of a sudden, after this abomination of desolation, things are going to start happening fast. Read the book of Revelation. When you read the book of Revelation, don't get discouraged. Read it from this standpoint. Number one, read it with this in mind. The big picture of the book of Revelation is simple. God wins. And Satan loses. That's the big picture. Read it with that in mind. And then remember, it's Hebrew literature. And it says something, and it can come back and say it again. And come back and say it again. It's not linear like we are in our culture. It's not everything 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And as you read it, you will see this same thing. And you will see this prediction at Pentecost when Peter stood up. 
What did he quote? He quoted Joel chapter 2 when he said, Peter, what's going on here? These people are talking in tongues. This miracle. This, what's happening here? These men had seen the resurrected Lord. They were emboldened and they were brave. And Peter says, no, they're not drunk like you think. They're already dick. He says, this is what Joel talked about. In those last days, the, the sun will be tar- darkened. The moon will turn to blood. The stars will fall from the sky. And the great and terrible day of the Lord will come. And I ask you this question. It's a simple question. When did this ever happen? When has there ever been a point in time where you could really say these things actually happen? Not figuratively, not allegorically, but when did those things happen? When has this ever happened? It has not happened yet. It has not happened yet. But it's going to happen according to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is still going to happen. And Jesus says in verse 30, they ask for the sign. Tell us, what will be the sign of your coming? How will we know then? How will anybody know? And the disciples here now are speaking on behalf of the, the whole nation of Israel. How will we know? In verse 30, at that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. Zechariah chapter 12 talks about the mourning for God's own people when they see the one who is pierced. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. They asked for a sign. And the sign is pretty dramatic. It's not going to be hard to figure out. When you see the Son of Man and all the... Na- and you know, I've thought about this today. You know, I've thought about that. The world is round. You know, and how are the how's the whole world going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky? Either it's going to be a circuitous, circular, circular <laughs> uh, coming, or really today is it that difficult with the the technology today for everybody to see something going on the minute it happens? It's not difficult. Those of you from a younger generation are more connected even more. You know what I'm talking about. It wouldn't be difficult. They're all going to see it. The whole world's going to see it. When the Son of Man returns, looking for a sign, you'll know it. There will be no doubt. And then Jesus finally says in verse 32, Learn this lesson from the fig tree. When the fig tree puts out its leaves and its tender branches, you know summer is coming. When you see these things, and I have to tell you, I think that, 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 the eight, that the things that began this clock ticking happened with the destruction of Jerusalem. We are still living in this, this, this last age. But something different happened. And what happened is, what the difficulty is, the difficulty is, it's been 2,000 years. And now this has taken place. The interesting thing is, the earliest Christian believers, the earliest Christian believers, and we have writings from what we call the early church fathers, really close to this generation, they firmly believed this was going to really happen. They believed there was going to be a millennial, a thousand year kingdom, as as, as talked about in 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 the book of Revelation. They firmly believed what Jesus talked about was actually going to happen, that these these horrible events were going to take place. 
They believed it was going to happen. But the decades and the centuries and the millennium went on. And it hasn't happened. And it wasn't long, within four or five centuries, that great doubt arose. And we began to, and, and Christians began to look at this as allegorical. That it really did take place. It's already happened. And we are already living in this kingdom. But I ask you the question, when did those events take place? When he says it will be, it'll be the, the, the tribulation and the destruction will be worse than it will never be equaled. And in, our, in some of your, your lifetime, not, not exactly my lifetime, I barely missed it, but some of you that lived through the Second World War period, and we think only over 100 million people were slaughtered. It, but it's, it's, it has not been equaled yet. He says when the, when the signs come, when the Son of Man comes, It'll never have been equal what's going to happen when God's judgment on sin comes and the Son of Man finally comes to reign on the earth and to set up His glorious kingdom. Well, from our view of Scripture, I can give it to you in just a, just a nutshell, we believe what happened is that God began something unprophesied. Read Ephesians 1-3. through 3. And the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3, if you've heard the mystery this administration, this dispensation of the grace of God that had never been revealed. That God is doing something new. That with the rejection of the Messiah when He was offered to them in the early part of Acts as we studied together last year and they rejected the Messiah, God did something new. Not something He hadn't planned on, but something He hadn't revealed. And that is us, the body of Christ. Where Jew and Gentile, Paul says in Ephesians 3, Jew and Gentile come together equally on an equal basis through simple faith in Jesus Christ and we are the new humanity. We are not the new Israel. We have not brought in the kingdom of God. Listen, friends, if this, is this what the kingdom of God looks like? Then it's not much of a kingdom. If this is what it looks like, what's going on in the world today and what's happened, we've destroyed more people in the last 112 years in the history of the world. God is doing something new. It's the church, the body of Christ. And when we are removed, we talk about the rapture, when we are taken away, we believe that God is literally going to fulfill and what Jesus spoke overlooking the city of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, we believe it is still going to happen according to His Word. And look what He says here. Verse 34, I tell you the truth. This generation that sees... That sign, when, he, when they see the Son of Man coming in this, this generation will not, that generation will not pass away until these things have happened. Verse 35, heaven and earth can pass away, but my words will never pass away. But he says, but don't be deceived. We read this earlier. No one knows when that hour is going to come. Only the Father. But when you see the sign of the Son of Man, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, know that you are in the end time. When you see the Son of Man, the sign of the Son of Man coming, know that the kingdom is here. It is near. It is right around the corner. Heaven and earth can pass away, but my word will never pass away. Friends, this is a, this is a difficult passage of Scripture. I'd encourage you to read the rest of this in chapter 25 because it's these two chapters that just precede the story of the unfolding events 
of the arrest, persecution, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, these two chapters are what precede that. Now, I want you to take this home with you today. What I want you to take home is maybe an interest in, in God's Word to look at this and consider it for yourself. Consider what I'm saying this morning. This has not been fulfilled. It is going to be fulfilled. And it's going to be a terrible time of judgment. You know, that's part of God's Word. Judgment upon sin is, is part of God's Word. It's the message that, that we have to preach along with the message of God's grace, love, and forgiveness. And I want you to, in closing today, I want you to go to Second Peter, chapter, the, the end of chapter 4. Second Peter. Look, in, look at Second Peter. Second Peter. This Apostle Peter who, who was there, who was there when, when Jesus spoke these things. In chapter 3, sorry, chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. This is what I want you to take home with you today. Because this applies to our lives. This is applicable to our lives. First of all, verse 3, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. The, the last days, I, I believe the last days are a continuous event. This is the age of the church, the body of Christ. The clock began ticking, and when the church is removed, it's going to accelerate fast. It's going to happen just as it would have happened. But look what he says, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and mocking, and they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And that would be the word today. What are you talking about? When are you Christians going to give up on this? It's been 2,000 plus years. And He has not come. Why do you keep preaching and teaching that He's going to come and that this is going to happen and there's going to be an abomination that causes desolation? There's going to be a tribulation. There's going to be this messy. Why do you keep talking about this? It's been 2,000 years. Look what it says here. They deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed. The earth was formed out of water by water. And he talks about the creation. And in verse 8, then he talks about the day of judgment that's going to come. In verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. God is not bound by time. Time means time doesn't exist in eternity. Eternity, listen friends, eternity is not a long, 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 long time. Eternity is no time. And everybody has a sense of that. Everybody would have to admit. I mean, you just think of the universe. You know, we talk about in physics, the, 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 the universe and the multiple universe. Fine. But what's at the end of it? Can anybody conceive of the end of the universe of nothing? There has to be something past that nothing, right? I mean, everybody knows that. It's eternity. And he says, listen, with, with God, it's like a day. Like with, from God's perspective, two days has gone by. Today is Sunday. It's like from Friday. What were you doing on Friday? From Friday till now, it's gone like that in our world. That's what it's like for God. But there's a reason for it. It's not because he's slow. It's not because he's got other things to do. Verse 9, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand. Here's the reason. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
in this past 2,000 years since we've been waiting, how many millions and millions and millions of people have come to the joy, including you, hopefully all of you today, of salvation through Jesus Christ. You wouldn't even be here if this had taken place. And God had a plan. God had a plan for the whole world. God had a plan for you. God had a plan for me and my, my little puny life. And God had a plan. And God is not slow. He is patient. There's a difference between slow and patient. He is patient. He doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want your friends or your neighbors to perish. He wants everyone. That's his desire. It says it right there. His desire is that all would come and receive the grace of God and receive Christ as Savior and receive eternal life and forgiveness for sins. But you notice the next verse, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So I want to encourage you today, friends. God's Word is true. Cliff, you put the last slide up for me. I want you to remember, I want you to take this verse home. It's on the front of your bulletin today. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is why we trust and believe it is still going to happen. It's not allegorical. It's not figurative. We, we, have, we have every reason when in Revelation it says six times There'll be a thousand year kingdom. We say, why not take it literal? And I want you to think about this today as you leave. Because if you can't trust any particular part of God's word, you can't trust any of God's word. Who's going who's to be the one to say, well, I can trust this, but I can't trust that? Are you going to make that decision? Am I going to make that decision as your pastor? We well, you can believe this, but you can't believe that. You came in this building today. If you know Christ as Savior, and you, you came in trusting. Some of you are in situations in life where you're not even sure what the future holds right now. Maybe you're making big changes in your life. Maybe you've got you know, huge steps of faith you're taking. Some of you are facing new challenges in your relationships, in your health. Some of you are heading off to college here in, in this week. You're going to be gone. We're not going to be heading off across the country like several others have already done. Uh, you've got big changes in your life. You've got big challenges. Every day brings something new. And you came in this building today, friends, trusting in God's Word. You came in here trusting in God's Word today. That God is going to take care of you. Amen? God has promised to meet your needs. Not your wants. God has promised you resurrection. You will see your loved ones again in the resurrection. God has promised you victory over sin, the sinful lifestyle. God has promised to take care of your family. You're worried about your grandkids and your children. You read these things, you think, boy, that world, is this getting worse? God knows how to take care of what belongs to Him. You came in here today believing in God's Word. And I want you to leave believing in God's Word today. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And you can trust God's word. It will never pass away. And that's simply the reason why we look at that scripture and say, Jesus promised this. It's going to happen. But in the meantime, aren't we thankful that God is patient, not wanting any to perish. He does not want you to perish. 
And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, that's the simple message to you. God wants you to receive forgiveness for sins and receive eternal life by acknowledging your need for salvation and acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross, paid for your sins, rose from the dead, and He offers freely to you forgiveness and eternal life. God does not want you to perish. He's patient. But there will be a day of judgment. You will stand before God someday. And if you think when you stand before God that your response is going to be, well, I expect you to welcome me to heaven because I was as good as I could be. I didn't kill anybody. I tried to do this. I tried to do that. That's not enough because you are still sinful. Jesus paid for your sin and offers you forgiveness if you'll receive it. Amen? You know Christ the Savior today, say amen. Amen. Let's close our service, Gary. Good song. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Not a sparrow falls to the ground without your Heavenly Father knowing about that. How many sparrows have fallen to the ground in the last 2,000 years around the world? But do you believe that? Amen. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Don't laugh, Doris. <laughs> Some of us are saving God a little more time counting, but do you believe that? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God, and God will supply everything you need. Do you believe that? And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Whatever you brought in today that you're worried about, I, I give you this word. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Heavenly Father, we thank, thank you so much. We're just humbled, Lord, to, to, just, to think that we're part of your plan. To think that, that you chose to love us. You could have turned your back on this world and left it in its sinful condition, left it to Satan. You could have started all over somewhere else. But you had a plan of salvation from start to finish. And Lord, we don't give up on that plan. And we don't give up on your plan for us. And we leave this place, whatever we came in with that, that troubles us, we leave this place with the confidence that you care about us, you love us, you will provide for us. We have hope. And we thank you for your patience and your love for us. In Christ's name we